Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We are one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this message with others or click on the give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
Well, how are you, church? You good? Yeah, good. It's good that you're good. We know Jared's good, and it's good that you're good, and we're all good this morning. And it's good to be with you guys uh, this morning as we kick off a brand new series in the month of May called Listen Up, Wisdom from One Generation to the Next by Show of Hands. How many of you have ever received any wisdom from somebody in an older generation. Yeah, you've gotten that wisdom. How many of you didn't want that wisdom? You just got it anyway. Yeah, because that's what old people do. They give you advice and wisdom and thoughts without even asking you for permission. And uh, they don't need permission. Look, they've lived long enough. They've earned that, right? So they're going to give it to you. It's kind of interesting how when like little kids come into the world, they're just a, a, a you know a, a few years maybe removed from life, and uh, they'll just they'll just shoot straight with you. They'll tell you what you want to hear, and then we learn to lie to each other, and then like right before we die, we start telling the truth again, you know. And that's kind of what happens. It's a circle of life, you know. So uh, we kind of get back around to that. Um, old people, they'll give you that wisdom. I love, I love soaking up wisdom. I was really blessed. My, my grandparents, they actually died early, but it, I was blessed when I married Liz um, that her parents, her grandparents were still alive. And one of, her, um, one of her grandparents, her grandfather, fought in World War II. And he's actually quoted by name in uh, Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation. And man, I would love sitting down with him. In fact, when I'd go stay with them, um, I'd get up to eat my bowl of cereal thinking it was only going to be about five minutes. Two hours later, Liz is like, where'd you go? And I was like, your granddad got me, you know, and, and I, I would love it. He would just like, he would just pour wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And that's why I love hanging out with her 93-year-old grandmother. We call her Gigi Bet. I mean, she is full of wisdom. In fact, uh, just one of our last trips down there, we were talking about her neighbor who got in trouble with the law. And I said, I wonder what would just like, you know, motivate a person to do what they did. And she goes, David, people going to do what people want to do. And I was like, that's good. Yep, people going to do what they're going to do. And that'll preach, right? You know, people going to do what people going to do. And uh, that's just good wisdom. And so when you hang out with old people, you learn that they've got a lot of wisdom. And maybe that's why Hollywood's kind of captured that. You know, a lot of kind of dying and death scenes, there's that older person. And right before they die with those final words, they give that last bit of like good wisdom to pass on to maybe a, a, a child or maybe somebody in a future generation, a younger generation. Um, the, the one that came to my mind as we were prepping for this week, kind of the first dying scene where somebody's passing on some wisdom, uh, the one that came to my mind uh, first was Star Trek when Dr. Spock died. You remember that? He's kind of caught and trapped inside that like container and Captain Kirk, you know, he's like, you know, he's all in tears and he goes up to the glass and he's like, Spock, you know, and Spock comes up to the glass and he says, um, we've always been friends. And then he puts his hand up, right? And he does this. How many of you can do this? This takes time to cultivate, yeah, the ability to do that with your fingers. Yeah, some of you got a hold of our... And what was the wisdom he gave him? Live long and prosper. Yeah. Now, he wasn't much older. Um, he was a few years older, but still, he gave that, that wisdom. Live long and prosper. And, and you could just go through death scene after death scene in Hollywood, and you get that wisdom from the older generation to the next. Um, anybody that's involved in hospice cares kno knows that there's wisdom that's gained from people that are in their last days before death. In fact, uh, one hospice care worker kind of accumulated uh, a top five list of greatest regrets. And then one of the most famous TED talkers, Jane McGonigal, she actually kind of shared, she shared that list with others and then brought out um, five pieces of wisdom based on those five regrets. Uh, those five pieces of wisdom are don't work so hard. 
How many of you could get on board with that one, right? Yeah, don't work so hard. Um, the second one was stay in touch with friends. And I'm pretty sure that didn't include social media. Yeah, that dying generation, they don't, they don't have a clue about social media. Stay in touch with friends personally. Um, number three, allow yourself to be happier. That's probably a good piece of wisdom. Number four, have courage to express your true self. Uh, number five, live a life true to your dreams rather than what others expect of you. Um, five pieces of wisdom from the five biggest regrets of the dying that are found in hospice care. Now, we don't have to go to Hollywood or to, to hospice care to find out great wisdom from an older generation to the next. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, through one book of the Bible, we're going to be taking a look at some wisdom from the Holy Bible, um, and, and specifically an older minister to a younger minister. Uh, the book of the Bible is 2 Timothy. So if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go with me to 2 Timothy. Um, Paul is a, an older minister, and in fact, this is um, thought to be his last letter that he writes. And if you're familiar with the New Testament of the Bible, he's written the majority of the New Testament of the Bible, but some of these were earlier in life. And this one is thought to be his very last word. So these are, this is like the deathbed scene. These are the, the dying um, words and the wisdom from Paul to Timothy. And some of you are thinking, well, why don't we start with 1 Timothy? Well, 1 Timothy was instructions earlier about how Timothy was to um, carry out the order of being a minister, how he's supposed to structure and organize the church and what was and wasn't supposed to take place in church. But this is his in last, last words, his last will and testament, and his last bit of wisdom. And today we're going to take a look at his first of the last bit of wisdom, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 14. We're skipping over a few verses that we're actually going to come back next week to. Um, and so now that I've really confused you, um, we will see in verses 8 through 14 one piece of wisdom, his first of the last bit of wisdom, which is don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And um, I, I looked at the definition of shame in um, Webster's dex dictionary, and this is what um, Webster defines as shame. Experiencing a painful emotion caused by a shortcoming, impropriety, experiencing the condition of humiliating disgrace, or something that brings censure or reproach. And I think it's, um, going into this passage, it's, it's, it's um, likely that all of us have experienced shame at some point in life. In fact, as we learned um, in a series previous to this, um, if you haven't experienced shame, then that probably means you're a sociopath. And, um, and we don't want that. But if you have never experienced shame, I've got an email address I would like for you to jot down. It's gus at connecttothevine.org. He'd love to meet with you, okay? All right, and he'd like to talk with you. No. So, um, so if you haven't experienced shame, that, I don't know about that category, but what we're going to find out is that Paul says, do not be ashamed. And then specifically, he gives us two things that we're not to be ashamed about, and then there's one that's an implied on the front end of that. So let's read together this first of the last bit of wisdom from Paul, an older minister to a younger minister, beginning verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy living, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, that means sent one, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so on a couple of occasions in just these few verses, he gives us this last first of the last bit of wisdom. Do not be ashamed. Two things specifically that he points out there, one that's implied, and I want to talk about the first that's implied in here, and that is do not be ashamed of sin. Do not be ashamed of sin. It's implied here because you can't get to the two other things unless you first get over this shame that we have when it comes to sin. Um, Webster had an interesting phrase in that definition of shame. I don't know if he caught it because there was a lot there. It was a big definition. But he used the phrase humiliating disgrace. And and I think that that perfectly captures the, the feeling and the sense that most of us get when we mess up. We know we mess up. We mess up in the eyes of God or we mess up in the eyes of other people. We get this humiliating disgrace. The the, the humiliation is the embarrassment. We, we knew better, or we know better, we will know better, but we still do it. The disgrace part's really interesting because to be disgraced means that you're distant from grace. And so I think a lot of us, when it comes to the mess-ups that we all have, that we would all say we've got in our lives, we're embarrassed by that, and it, we feel like it distances us from grace. From, from an expression of God's mercy where he gives us something that we don't deserve. And what's fascinating about that and why we can not be ashamed of our sin is because you're never apart from God's grace. The moment you were born, God started lavishing his grace upon you even when you weren't aware of it. And some of us, we've got these great tragedies and great um, hurtful experiences in life, and it's not to discount those in any way, but even in the midst of that, God's grace was evident, and God's grace was going before us before we were aware of it. Kind of in our theological framework, we call this provenient grace. It's a grace that goes before our awareness of it, and it's God's way of just kind of drawing us to himself so that as we have these experiences, we start to get this big picture that God is love, and if God is the creator of all things, and God is everywhere at all times, then we can never be separate from his love. It goes before us. It draws us to a place where we receive that. We don't have to be ashamed of our sin. It's in the sin that we see the depth of God's love. Scripture tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross. So when we understand the cross... We understand the depth of God's love he demonstrated for us by sending Jesus. And when we trust in that, then we are made right with God. I I love the way that Paul kind of writes it for Timothy. I mean, here are a couple of the expressions that he says. This is why it's indirectly um, implied in the scripture that we don't have to be ashamed of our sin. Um, We share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
who saved us and called us to a holy calling, we'll get to that in a second, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is like for God's plan. This is for God's purpose to demonstrate who he is, love for us, his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before you were born, Jesus was the embodiment of grace. Before the world was created, Jesus was grace. You go to John chapter 1, 1, it says that in the beginning, all things, uh, in the word was, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were made through him. Then you go back to Genesis, the account of creation. What that means is that everything was created by him and through him and for him, and he's grace. He is grace. There's never been a moment this world or you have ever been apart or away, distant from God's grace. In fact, that's how we know. That's how we know the depth of who God is. It's because of the depth of our depravity that we understand that we have a creator who loves us and there's nothing that we can do to change that. You do not have to be ashamed of your sin. And for some of you, you've, you've distanced yourself from God maybe because you're humiliated or you're embarrassed. But the voice of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you says, come, come come back, or come for the first time, come. If you hear any other voice than that, it's not the voice of God. You're going to hear voices when you sin. You are. You're going to hear voices. And, and sometimes it's helpful if it brings you back. The Bible would call that conviction. Conviction is when you hear the voice of God saying, hey, can I come back? Now come back. Condemnation is when you hear the voice not from God that says, now run run. And con condemnation is an interesting thing because condemnation will actually kind of convince you to sin. Hey, don't worry about it. Just do it. Just do it one more time. Just one more time. Just one more time. And then as soon as that one more time happens, you did it again. I can't believe you did it again. Now run. Do not be ashamed. When you sin, come back and be reminded that you never graduate from grace. You're never distant from God's love. Don't run, come back. One of the markers of a person who is gaining wisdom in Christ is a person who rapidly repents, is that when you've messed up, you come back quickly. God doesn't need time to cool off. God's not angry at you. He loves you, and he wants you to come back. When you get that, then you get what Paul writes to Timothy is the good news or the gospel. Those words are basically synonyms. Uh, they mean the same thing. The gospel means good news. This is good news that when you mess up, God still loves you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does right now. You're never distant from God's love. This is good news. And when you receive that, then you'll want to share that. When you receive that, you'll want to share that. And that's kind of how the passage begins. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to share the good news. And so the second thing that in dying, he wants to impart to a young minister is you don't have to be ashamed to share your faith in Jesus. 
You don't have to be ashamed to share your faith in Jesus. If you're not ashamed of your sin because you understand God's grace and the magnitude of it, then you don't have to be afraid of sharing your faith and the magnitude of that either. And I don't know about you, but when I first gave my life to Jesus, when I was 17 years old, like I wanted to jump in. I wanted to tell as many people as possible about Jesus, whether I knew them or not. Like I signed up. Though I was going to a different church, I signed up to go to an evangelism class at a different church where we would take their first-time guest cards, which we don't do that here at the Vine, okay? So I'm just going to let you know. If you're a first-time guest, turn in that connect card. We won't do this. But what we would do is we would take that first-time guest card from another church. We would show up on Tuesday night. We'd knock on the door. And we were trained to ask three really personal questions right out of the gate. Hey, can I ask you this question, this question, this question? And then the fourth question, which was the loaded question, this was the question of all questions. If you were to die today, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven, or is that something you're still thinking through? I know I just met you, but that's the most personal question I could ask you. Are you going to go to heaven when you die? And so I'd ask that question, and then the follow-up question to that, if they said yes, you had to make sure that they were actually, you know, knew what they were talking about. You'd say, if you were to stand, if you were to stand before Jesus, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what do you think you would say? Okay, all right, nice to meet you, David. And so then we would unpack the gospel for them, this good news that they were sinners and they needed Jesus and all that stuff. I was so fired up about the gospel that I'd received because I knew the depth and the depravity that I had in my life that I wanted other people to know that. So I was willing to go knock on strangers' door and ask them really personal questions and outline them for them. I wasn't ashamed. I don't do that now, though. I, I, I was so fired up about my faith that um, me and a buddy of mine, same buddy, we, we, would, we would plan trips to Walmart and Waffle House to share the gospel because we knew people there needed the gospel, right? If you don't know that, then just look pictures of Walmart people or something like that. It's like walmartpictures.com. I don't know. You know like, and, and then just go late at night to Waffle House. You're running into some folks that need Jesus. And I'm joking. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus, but we just knew we could go there and begin conversations with people, and we would. We just com- begin conversations with random people. I was, I was not ashamed to share in faith, but I don't do that a whole lot anymore. I wish, I wish that I had read these words a little bit earlier. Hey, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I don't, I don't know that I'm ashamed as much as I just know that when I was like, fully aware of my need for God's grace, and I was fully aware of everyone's need for God's grace, and, and something changes over time. Maybe for us, that's, that's a part of the problem, is, is that we, we lose that sense of, of how much we need God's grace, and so we become ashamed to share it with other people. Maybe we're ashamed to share it with other people because we realize that our lives don't match our message. Have you ever had one of those moments? Well, if I share this message with another person, but my life doesn't reflect it, then, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, and we wait to be perfect, or we wait to be a pastor, and just FYI, pastors aren't perfect. Uh, my parents were in the 915 service, and they were like, glory, hallelujah, you know, like, hey, yeah. And none of your pastoral staff are perfect. None of our staff people are perfect. We're, we're professional Christ followers, but that's about it, you know. Um, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And that actually is the point, right? That's the point. We're not perfect. We can't be perfect. And so we have this hope, this living hope. His name is Jesus. 
He died for our sins. He came back from the dead. He's still living, and he is still pouring out grace upon grace in our life. You don't have to be perfect or professional to share your faith. I got a professional calling when I was 18, and I didn't want it. Some days I still don't want it. But I got a ministry calling that all of us get the moment we give our life to Jesus Christ. Paul talks to Timothy about it. He says, you've received a holy calling. Whether you're a preacher or a teacher, you've received a holy calling. If you're a student athlete or a student artist, you've received a holy calling, and the holy calling is to share your faith in Jesus Christ. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your faith and to tell your faith to others. You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to go to strangers' houses. In fact, what we say here is go to the people that are right next to you, that you live with, that you work with, that you play with. Like, go to those folks. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be professional. Sometimes we're ashamed because we think that maybe their life doesn't match our life. And so we think that maybe they'll think differently about us because of the faith that we have. And that actually might happen. In fact, they should probably think differently about you. I, I was talking on Monday. I work, uh, started working out at a um, CrossFit box right around the corner called CrossFit Faded Glory. Any of y'all are welcome to, to join us. I've been there about six weeks, and I love it, but I'm still getting acquainted with all the people that I'm working out with, and there was one dude that, that early on I kind of like, man, I just drew a circle around that guy, and I was like, man, I want to talk to that guy. In fact, I came home. I, I described him to Liz, big, tall guy, really, really tall guy, shaved head, which is always pretty intimidating. He's got this full black beard. I mean, just like, oh, my gosh, you know, and I was like, Liz, I was like, I just want you to pray that I can have a conversation with him. Well, on Monday, I went to go get like a quick workout in, and he was there. It was just him and the box owner, and when I walked in, he goes like this. And I was like, okay, I'm here to work out, but I've been praying. What do I do? What do I do? And um, so I've been praying, so have the conversation. He goes, hey, you're the pastor of the Vine Church? I was like, oh, no. I was like, I was hoping he wasn't a Jesus follower so I could share Christ with him. I don't want to talk to him now. You know, like, that's what I was thinking. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, um, so he starts talking to me, and he starts, like, telling me about how he gave his life to Jesus Christ two years ago. And that before that, he was on to alcohol, and he was on to women. And that was, like, his thing. And, um, and, and, and it just, like, was getting him nowhere. He was completely frustrated, had, had nothing uh, to, um, to hold on to, no hope in life. He wakes up one morning from a drunken stupor, and he's like, I can't do this anymore. So he calls a friend who calls a pastor. They meet in Houndstooth Restaurant's parking lot. He gives his life to Jesus, and he's never drank a bit of alcohol since. He said that when he went to tell all of his buddies that he was, had given his life to Jesus and that he was not going to drink alcohol again, he said all but one, all but one, kind of viewed him differently, a antagonized him, treated him differently, thought about him differently. It, it's possible that the world will look at you differently because of the faith that you have in Jesus. But you don't have to be ashamed of that. Because you are different. Like maybe, maybe instead of being worried about the way that other people think differently about you, maybe you should start thinking differently about yourself. Because that's the way that God thinks of you. In fact, in, in this passage, when he says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, that word holy 
in Greek is hagios. Everybody say hagios. And hagios means sacred or saint. Sacred or saint. When you are saved, when you're made right with God through the forgiveness of your sins and Jesus' leadership of your life and the Holy Spirit coming into your life, you're now sacred. You're a saint, which is why when Paul's writing back to all these churches that he directly or indirectly started, he addresses them to the saints in fill in the blank geographic location. You are different, and it's okay to be different. In fact, your difference should be noticeable to the world so that they would say, why are you different? And then you have the ability without shame to say, here's why I'm different. Because of God's grace. And I would rather tell people why I'm different than to stand before God and tell him why I'm not. I'll say that again. I would rather stand before God and tell others why I'm different than to stand before God and tell him why I'm not. You're meant to be different in Christ. You are a new creation. You are a son or daughter of God. You do not have to be ashamed. And whatever comes from that, it's okay. Paul says he's a prisoner, and he is, and he's been in prison a number of times. Paul says that he has suffered, and that you don't have to be ashamed of suffering, especially when it's connected to the gospel but I think it expands to any form of suffering that we receive. And here's why I believe that, because two weeks ago we talked about in heaven there will be no more suffering. Whatever that suffering is, physical, spiritual, emotional, there will be no more. You don't have to be ashamed of suffering. And, and I feel like we've got it kind of backwards in our understanding of suffering and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a prevalent a fake gospel that's being preached called prosperity gospel, where when you sign up for Jesus and faith in Jesus, that your life's gonna be perfect and it's gonna be completely prosperous. It's just gonna be all health and all wealth. And there's nothing wrong with all health and there's nothing wrong with all wealth and there's nothing wrong with pursuing that and praying for that. But what's really interesting is that it's hard to find that in scripture because Paul, who had health and wealth and all kinds of prosperity. In fact, he was a very prominent religious leader. He was a very prominent political figure. He was a very prominent, powerful, popular dude. When he signed on for Jesus, he lost it all. He was put in prison. He was beaten. He was left for dead. In fact, on one occasion, like people thought he was dead, so he left. And then once they left, he just popped up and he was like, see ya. You know, and he started running off. He, when he was in prison, like he's writing the New Testament. If it weren't for his suffering in prison, we wouldn't have the majority of the New Testament. And then he points to Jesus. And he says, you want to see suffering? Jesus suffered. And he suffered for the will of the Father. But it is in suffering that we see the power of God. The power of God is revealed in suffering where God's power either brings relief in the suffering or relief from the suffering. And we love relief from the suffering. We do. We love it. We pray for it. We believe in it. But sometimes the greater miracle is relief in the suffering. I love the story of Jesus. He sends his disciples. Uh, he tells them to go over to the other side of the, the lake at one occasion. We're going to do some ministry over there. I'm going to go down. I'm going to take a nap. When he goes and takes a nap, the storm comes up and the disciples start freaking out. They're like, we're drowning here. So somebody go wake up the guy um, downstairs. 
And uh, Jesus, are you not concerned that we are dying? Sounds a lot like suffering. God, are you not concerned that we're dying? We take our cues from Jesus. Jesus is sleeping. He was calm in the storm. And then he calms the storm. Which is the greater miracle? I don't know. But sometimes I believe that the calm in the storm, the relief in the suffering, it's the greater miracle. When Jesus shows up, hey, if you will understand that suffering was a part of Jesus' life and in suffering it reveals the power of God, you will experience relief in or from. Relief in or from. It was Jesus' crucifixion that led to the resurrection. It was Paul's imprisonment that led to a prison ministry and a prison breakout. It's in Paul and the other disciples dying in a form similar to Jesus that the gospel spread like crazy. Don't be ashamed of suffering in this culture that says, hey, you gotta have everything right and everything's gonna be awesome and perfect. Embrace it and ask God to make manifest, as Paul writes, manifest our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why on Sundays when we end our services, we have communion that is the like tangible expression of Jesus' suffering. We have people ready to pray with you who are here to say, hey, we want relief in and we want relief from, but Jesus, we need your power revealed in the manifestation of this moment. You do not have to be ashamed in Christ Jesus. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven Spoke your name into the night And through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has Praise the Lord.
silence the roaring lion declare the grave has no claim on me then came 